Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, a special deep dive episode that we record exclusively for our patrons and academics on the Bestseller Academy. And today is a horror special. We're doing a horror deep dive with the wonderful Adam Neville. Adam is the author of the horror novels Banquet for the Damned, Department 16, The Ritual, Last Days, House of Small Shadows, No One Gets Out Alive, Lost Girl, Under a Watchful Eye, and many short stories. He's won many awards for his writing, including the British Fantasy Award and the Auguste Deleth Award for Best Horror Novel. Several of his novels are currently in development for film and television, and in 2016, Imaginarium adapted The Ritual into a major motion picture. Certainly one of my favourite of the recent batch of cracking British folk horror movies. Adam, welcome to the podcast. How are you today, sir? I'm good, and thank you for having me on. Oh, my absolute pleasure. We've got some, a selection of questions from our patrons and members of the Bestseller Academy. Some of them very perceptive and insightful. Some of them, well, quite strange. But let's start, let's start with a great one from LJ Reagan, who says, does Adam have a particular writing process for the scary scenes? For example, does he write them alone at night by candlelight to get himself in the mood? Or can he write the terrifying stuff as part of a regular writing session over coffee? Do you need to set the mood, Adam? No. <laughs> I, I, the ideas always come easily. It's almost second nature so day or night as long as i get into the zone and feel compelled to write about something usually just the you know the process of writing i become absorbed into that and and rely upon my imagination um but i mean i am inspired by things i i, I read and 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 watch there was one novel, I'm trying to remember which one it was, where as an exercise before writing, I would watch some of my favourite scenes from horror films. Excellent. Um, and I, of, I often read uh, the, the novel I have coming out this year, Cunning Folk. I read Ted Hughes's poetry right. in the morning before I started. Just, you know, anything that helps get me into my own zone as it were but no i don't need i don't need candles or darkness or or mood or or atmosphere i can generate it myself excellent ted hughes to do that ted hughes is interesting because you you that's poetry different medium but obviously his language is uh there's again there's a lot of kind of almost a folk horror to some of his writing as well uh, are there other other writers who get you in the mood um, yeah, I mean, I was reading, uh, for, particularly for the, the, the book I'm writing now and the, the previous book I finished at the beginning of this year, I've been writing, uh, reading a lot of masterly writers who write about the landscape and nature. So, mm. um, J.D. Barker, uh, Robert McFarlane, but mostly Ted Hughes. I mean, he, he wrote so much. Um, and I have his collected works. Um, and I just find three or four poems. He was an absolute master of language as well. Mm. Um, the mythic folklore, um, his imagery was, uh, I mean, he's second to none. I mean, he's, he's, I don't know, the equal of Shakespeare perhaps. Mm. So to read the very best does help. Um, I guess just 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 put me into the right frame of mind, and uh, it's 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 a real stimulant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Writing the very best, though, sometimes can you kind of feel, oh blimey, I'm never going to be this good. Why bother? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, there's, there's plenty of writers I I that want want to make give up. <laughs> it, it, it's odd they they are they make me want to give up, but at the same time. It's a contradiction. They really make me want to write. Mm. Cormac McCarthy is, is the one writer, particularly over the years. I mean, I read his books, get completely absorbed in them. Um, just the most marvellous use of language and the fact that really everything matters on every page in his books. Mm. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the, great, I, the great themes and ideas about life and death and so forth. Um, so I read those and often think, you know, this is not something I can do, 
but strangely feel compelled to aspire, you know, to be better, mm. to kind of elevate, I guess, my own writing, make it matter a bit more. M- McCarthy's writing is something like Blood Meridian is like a kind of fever dream, isn't it? The way he writes with no punctuation, no yeah. breaks for dialogue or anything like that. It's it's all absorbing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And even even Sotry, which I think was his uh, one of his earlier books, that isn't based particularly upon incident or suspense or or plot, but it is such a consuming experience mm. reading it. Mm. You know, you almost get the kind of complete inner life of a person. Um, so, yeah, re- reading better great writers is something I would uh, always recommend. <laughs> Excellent. You mentioned previously that there are favourite horror films that you come back to again and again. What what are some of those? Recently, um, Midsummer and Hereditary, the two Ari Aster mm. films, which I found particularly disturbing. Mm. In fact, I can't remember films that have disturbed me as much for well over a decade. Mm. They really did just push that button, particularly yeah. hereditary. Um, but then there are others, uh, The Wicker Man from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently re- rewatched all of the Alien films. Um, the Ghost Stories for Christmas, I'm just looking at my shelves now. Oh, it's the, um, the M.R. So yeah, James the, the, ones, yeah. Yes. Um, I often have a retrospective, I had a Cronenberg retrospective recently, uh, the Hellraiser films again. Um, the Last Suspiria, I think I've watched three or four times now. Right. Um, yeah, so th- there are. I'm, I'm constantly watching films, constantly watching new horror films, um, and occasionally dipping back into my, to my classics. Excellent stuff. LJ goes on. She says, does Adam believe in the paranormal and does that belief one way or another affect his writing? Uh, I, I would say my jury is out. And that probably does contribute to my, to my curiosity. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, There's so much we don't know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the mystery, the enigma of the supernormal is something that has fascinated me from childhood. Um, am I, uh, you know, an ardent believer in the paranormal? No. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I accept the limits of my, own, of my own knowledge and experience. Um, yes. So yeah, I, I guess I'm a, I'm a sort of, I'm on the fence. Mm. I don't think about it that hard, to be honest. <laughs> it's just, a, I, I guess, an instinct and a curiosity that that has always led me to be fascinated by it. When you decide to zone in on a particular aspect of, uh, say, folk uh, folklore or some supernatural element, where do you start your research? Are there particular books that you go to or, or are there people that you would speak to about these things? Because I'm, I'm thinking as, as we've become more and more aware of, uh, of the background to some of these cultures. Um, so if you were to write about, say, Obeya magic or whatever, which has its roots in the Caribbean and then in Africa, you know, something like that. You need to really do do your due diligence with the research for something like that. Is that something you dig into or, or are you well-versed anyway in a lot of folklore? No, I, I do a lot of research for, I have done for all of my books mm-hmm. um, and I tend to use secondary texts. I mean, there's such a wealth, such an encyclopedic wealth of, you know, non-fiction about all of the different subjects that I've written about, um, whether it be it cults for um, last days, and then there were there was astral projection for under a watchful eye. 
um, serial murder, the consequences of runaway climate change, all the different themes that are, and ideas that of the backgrounds <clears throat> that have formed the basis of my stories. Um, even my first one, Banquet for the Damned, I remember on my my university library card, I at one point I had it was over 20 books out on witchcraft and a librarian did ask me, what, what are you doing at the university? Why are you here? <laughs> um, I was studying something else, but I was writing the novel at the same time back in the nineties. So I do a lot of research and often if you find a book that is particularly good, you know, and you just go to the back and you look at the various sources that author's used that can lead you um, to other key titles and, you know, endless rabbit holes. When do you stop? Um, but for each book, I probably do as much secondary reading as I would have done for, for a master's and use a fraction of mm. it. But, you know, that you're always struggling with horror to make it credible. Mm-hmm. And to give your story every chance you can to be to be credible and to be engaging and to be, I guess, convincing at least within the the imagination of a reader. You know, research uh, is a great asset uh, to a horror writer. Um, some of it, some of what I write is you know, it just seems to come from my imagination. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Cunning Folk, um, the book I have coming out this year, I did a lot of research into folk magic and myths about witchcraft and curses and so forth. Um, and there's some excellent books and historians out there. Um, there was no end of good material about cults or about climate change. Um, so yeah, I, I I do a lot of research for each book. I'm putting you on the spot a bit here, but are there any books that you come back to again and again? Yeah, Ron Hutton's Ronald Professor Ronald Hutton's Triumph of the Moon. I, I've 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 referred to for about three novels now. Excellent, excellent. I'll put that one on my to be read pile. <laughs> Uh, we got a question from Rachel Howes, who says, this is a bit of a head basher. So uh, let's go with this. She said, Rachel says, it's human nature to fear the unknown. But what did you once unknow about writing horror, but now know? So was there something that was unknown to you when you started writing horror that in the process of writing horror fiction has become known to you? Mm, probably... On a on a technical level, rewriting. When I when I started writing um, seriously in my in my early twenties, um, it was a very kind of heady experience, um, almost just an outpouring of 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 ideas, almost as if a you know a dam exploded inside me. But I wasn't a very good writer. Um, and I learned by, by my late twenties, both both reading about writing, anything that I could, and then I took a I took a master's in English and creative writing in the late nineties, and had a couple of excellent tutors who were poets who really concentrated on well language use and so forth, and they they taught me how to rewrite. And I felt that my my writing just went vertical mm-hmm. in terms of the the effects I could produce. And writing is, you know, for me, it's it's a very layered process, draft after draft after draft, with gaps between each draft, so I can return to my work with with near enough fresh eyes and just constantly revising. And that's not tinkering with the odd word or commas. It's often just rewriting every single sentence. Mm. 
Um, and I, you know, I've rewritten some some scenes or, or chapters again and again and again and again, and then just deleted them. Right. So it is a mania. There's something really sort of obsessive and OCD about rewriting, but it's the part of the process that I enjoy the most now. Hmm. Um, and I can, I can do it for hours, but yeah, you, 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 I can't get by just on ideas and application, just sitting there expressing these ideas. Um, I think very hard about the actual writing <clears throat> and that's where I would always recommend a good creative writing course. Um, so yeah, the, the importance, the significance, the essential nature of, of knowing how to rewrite and to develop your own internal editor mm -hmm. is so important. Um, and of course, when I was uh, starting out, I was just enthusiastic and I had all these ideas and I thought I was a natural, you know, I had, I hit a brick wall by my late twenties. Um, and I'd, I'd even, I was even a professional writer by then I was getting fiction published, but I cringe and I wince if I look at it now. Right. And that process never stops. You, know? yeah. <laughs> you, you, you constantly learn, you constantly improve as you, as you, as you move through your career. Um, but yeah, le learning how to rewrite can, 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 can be a Damascene moment. Mm. Absolutely. Which is one of the reasons why, you know, everything has changed in the last, the last 10 years. And it, it seems to me now that almost everybody is a writer and is throwing books onto Amazon. And I look at some of these authors and I think four or four to six in a year, how can anyone write four to six novels in a year? I mean, writing full time from research to the final draft, it's about 18 months for me. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, if you look a, a little bit harder, a lot of them, they're not really novels. They're kind of 20,000 word short stories that are, you know, on a Kindle, they're called novels on <coughs> in the ebook format. But anyway, sorry, I'm digressing. But yeah, rewriting. <laughs> um, I, I had to learn the hard way. You mentioned there that you, you do that thing, which I do, uh, which is once you finish a draft, you put it away for a few weeks or whatever, and then come back to it with, with fresh eyes. What do you do in between, in the in-between time? Do you work on short stories or other projects? Yes. I mean, I... I I have my own imprint for some of my books. I'm also working in film now um, as a, an EP, an executive producer, and also as a screenwriter. Uh, I also have a web store, so I have orders. Um, and then I might be doing research for the next book, so I, I am constantly spinning numerous plates at the same time. Um, so yeah, I, I've plenty to distract me from what it was that I was writing, um, and when I return to it, usually I'm quite excited. I finish on a high note, finish a draft, and I get back to it and think, "Oh, just so looking forward to." I think I've done something this time that um, is interesting, and with after, you know, within a few minutes of reading it, I just want to destroy the computer, <laughs> tear my office apart with my teeth. <laughs> and uh, just delete its very existence. But then gradually, incrementally, as time goes on, by the time I usually get to about seven drafts now, by the time I get to the seventh, I think, yeah, that's as good as it's going to get. And I'm, I'm, I'm quietly, cautiously pleased with it. Mm. Excellent. <laughs> my, my inner reader, the ideal reader, you know, is pleased with it um, and you just have to hope that that transfers to the other ideal readers. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, Andrew Chapman has a question. Uh, he says, they say horror is a close cousin of comedy. Do you ever cackle as you write? Yes, now and again. Um, 
I often find um, my 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 villains or some of my characters. I often find people the villainous. I often find them absurd. Anyway, you know they can often be so bloated with with delusion and 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 self regard um, and this sort of appalling narcissism that when I'm recreating that kind of pathology or character that kind of psychology i do often i do often laugh but it's it's an interesting question because i think the great enemy of horror is silliness and it's so easy to evoke the silly and the ridiculous so you know i do have almost my own canary in a coal mine if i feel something is silly i go back and address it because you know i i i i want the books to be taken seriously and it's it's fantasy it's fiction but at the same time um you know i'm not writing farces uh some very subtle satire perhaps at times my my most recent book and it's not a shameless plug is the first my I think my 10th novel is the first time um, I've used black comedy in a horror novel. And I'll tell you why it is my second screenplay a couple of years ago. The screenplay is still in development, but after researching it and writing a treatment and thinking about this story from the inside out um, and all of the characters and every single motivation and the consequence of every action, which you have to do with a screenplay and then going through the development process. I think we got to, on this one, five drafts between me and the producers that were giving me their input on the each successive draft. I knew the story so profoundly from the inside out um, and just... A, lot, a great deal of humour appeared in the writing. It wasn't intended. It just emerged, mostly because the, the two of the characters in it are quite, well, they're just absurd and grotesque in their own way. Um, so that was a kind of almost an accident. It just came out in the writing of this particular story. It had these comedic themes. And then when I decided to adapt the screenplay into a novel... Um, I, I liked it so much. I just didn't want it just to be a screenplay that perhaps remained in development forever. Mm-hmm. I wanted the characters of the stories to kind of the story to live on uh, in another medium, at least. Um, the 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 humour, the black humour, seeped into the novel as well. And I just thought, no, I'm I'm, I'm going to keep it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a horror novel. You know, it it, it conjures. I hope dread, fear, and the other emotions you might associate with supernatural horror. But there is a a sense of the absurd in this one as well that I wanted to to preserve from the the screenplay to the novel. Um, But that's a kind of deliberate aesthetic choice because at least I think it works within the context of the story. But writing something that isn't credible and become silly or strikes me as ridiculous. This is another important um, reason why rewriting and returning to work again and again and looking at it with fresh eyes is important because you can catch these things. Um, of course, there'll be some readers that will that will think the stuff that I've written is ridiculous and silly anyway, but as long as my own internal editor um he will have the final say but yeah um it is it is a close cousin i think um but it's but it's there's a line between the two that i keep a careful eye on what uh it, how do you keep up keep that balance uh, uh, is it a question of keeping the supernatural elements and the the, the the characters as grounded as possible and then introducing 
the supernatural elements, a bit like boiling a frog. You know, you start in the real world and then introduce these things carefully. Is there a pace to it? Is there a, is there a kind of a flow to it? Because it's one of these things, certainly when it, yeah, you've got humor as well. Post Shaun of the Dead, all sorts of movies and books came out that tried to do that balance. And it's very, very, as you said, very, very tricky to, to pull off. What are the what are the strategies you use to keep to keep that balance uh, even? Yeah, I guess it's an incremental process. I I suggest things from the beginning. Um, I put a lot of faith in in foreboding. Um, and if and if you do carefully construct a story in which the supernormal is introduced subtly in a in a nuanced way to start with and it builds to a a kind of critical mass at some point i don't want to blow that tension or 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 build or um even the atmosphere that i'll try and conjure through the story i i i if anything, I guess it's in, it's instinctive. If anything felt silly or awry or was it was the wrong tone or it was striking the wrong note, I, I would I would address it. To be honest, it's never been a big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because I think it through so carefully. There might there might be the odd description where I just think no, that's not what I'm trying to say. That's that's conjuring a completely different image in my mind. And, um, you know, the connotations of that language um, might be misinterpreted. I'm going I'm to go back and, and rewrite that because everything can be rewritten and there's, there, there are so many choices. Um, every sentence can be rewritten endlessly until you, yeah, process of elimination, until you think or you hope, you feel you are striking the right effect. Mm. Um, but I, you know, every now and again, I do. I'm, I might be in the middle of the first draft, and I just go cold and think, "This is this is ridiculous." I'm writing a silly book. I'm spending all of this time. You know, I, I, I these were my goals aesthetically. You know, I wanted to write meaningfully about this subject and I wanted this to be really tense and suspenseful, but I feel it's just silly. Um, but yeah, I'll go back again and again and again until I think um, I'm, I'm achieving the effect I want to. Excellent. Excellent. Whereas if you, you're writing quickly and, you know, a lot of people must just be publishing first drafts it's very easy to write a first draft, I think, and have a really good impression of it mm-hmm. and to not even look over your shoulder mm-hmm. and think the end, oh, that's good. People are going to love it. But actually, I always think, look at that again in six weeks. If you've, if you've developed an internal editor and editorial process, um, so you've got the ability to see your work for what it is. We've got a bunch of questions from uh, a member of our Bestseller Academy, Saivar Haldorsen, who is a fan. He was the one who got in touch and said, you got to get Adam on the podcast. And he says, Adam's horror is dark and can stay with you for weeks on end. The imagery seared into your brain for eternity. Uh, he's got a few questions about craft and horror. First of all, he says, are you a planner or a pantser? So are you someone who outlines in advance or do you just jump in and write into the dark? Um, first thing. Thank you, Savar. Um, <laughs> what a lovely, lovely thing to say. I, I would class him as an as, as an ideal reader. Yes. Um, <laughs> who, who incidentally make this all worthwhile. Um, mm-hmm. So, planner and pan, pantser? Pantser. I'm, I, I'm a planner. Right. Um, I, I, I would say that I've been writing for so long now, three decades Originally, I would have uh, an idea, an image, a scene that I would find compelling, and I would write the scene, and usually just the process of writing the scene would suggest the next one and so on and so forth, and a story would gradually emerge from that writing process. So I would have general ideas and a few specific scenes but I haven't written like that other than short stories 
for a few years now. I mean, the novel I'm writing now and the last one, I'd done all the research and all the thinking at treatment stage and then in a screenplay. So mm. screenplay to book, I've done it kind of back to front. So, you know, every single scene and reaction and line of dialogue and who these people are that, that, that populate the story, I'd done all the thinking before. So I'd, I'd thought of everything I possibly could, I think, from every angle. Mm-hmm. And also it had kind of contributing analysis from the producers who've been working on the screenplays with me. So second, third, and fourth pairs of eyes as well. So the recent two I've planned probably as much as you can. Before that, um, there was, I mean, I just, I'll probably better just to think of an example. Um, no One Gets Out Alive. That was a novel in which I wanted to write about, I guess, young, young people in, in deprivation. Uh, a, a novel about poverty, about being compromised. Your circumstances and situation are compromised by poverty, which makes you p- particularly prone and vulnerable to making bad decisions and exploitation and you know, can bring you within range of predatory people. So that was the idea. And I thought a young woman in the gig economy, renting a room in an old house, you know, this is my start. Um, And I probably didn't have, I, I knew there was going to be a male character that was going to be a sadistic tormentor or abuser of women. And then I start the research on those particular subjects. And yeah, the first couple of scenes I, I could, I'd already imagined vividly, but the rest of the novel kind of grew out of that. Just the process of writing then suggests the story. And then the story takes on a life of its own and the story kind of suggests things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a, it's 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 it is a it is a curious process. So, yeah, earlier books, I'd have a general idea about what I was going to write about the subject, the background, the location, and one or two scenes, and just the act of writing would produce the rest. As an older writer, I'm 52 now. Um, I've really struck upon something that suits me, where I will imagine a film and write a treatment and then at least structure the story across, you know, three acts and then start writing a novel. And I, I think I'm going to stick with that for the time being, certainly with the, the next book as well that I'd hope to start next year. I've also, that's begun life as a screenplay, which I'm developing now. Excellent. So is, is, is the general plan to write the screenplay first, get, see if you can get it optioned and sell the rights, and then if that doesn't work or even if it does work, then develop it into a novel? Is that, is, has that become your kind of process now? Yeah, it, it, in a way. I mean, when, when the, I've, always, I've always been interested in horror films and I've always wanted to write them, but I've just never had the capacity beyond writing novels and short stories. Um. And I've only really been a kind of full-time writer since 2009. Before that, I was always working full-time. So, yeah, there were lots of things I wanted to do, but I just simply never had the capacity. My first three novels, it took me 10 years to finish them, to complete them. That was Banquet for the Damned Department 16 and The, and the Ritual. And then when I was uh, writing full-time, it was taking me 12 months to 18 months to write a book. But it was, it was really when the ritual was made and I observed that process. I wasn't involved in it. I can't claim any credit for the film. I wrote the novel, but the Imaginarium, the, the production company were really good. You know, they showed me screenplays and I went to the shoot and saw some of the post-production. And I thought, well, as somebody else has adapted one of my novels into a film, and I think at that point, most of my books 
were in some kind of development or under an option. So I was gradually getting more and more contact with people who were making films and in that film industry. And my uh, film agent management company did suggest at one point, have you thought about writing original screenplays? And I was like, well, yes. And it's something I've wanted to do for years, but I can just never seem to find the time because it just takes me forever to finish a book. Mm. Um, and I'd also started my imprint at this point as well. But then I thought, okay, I'm going to take a bit of a sabbatical. 2000, I think it was 2018. Um, I'll rewrite the reddening through the year. And in between that, I'm going to study screenplay writing. And I'm going to have a go at my first screenplay. And I did. And I enjoyed it so much. I wrote another one in 2019 and another one in 2020 between drafts of novels. And what struck me almost immediately was I'm getting a fully thought out story and characters for the film screenplay. So I've done the thinking for a novel. And this is two bites you know, of the same dark cherry. Mm. Um, it's highly unlikely that the screenplays will become, any screenplays will become films. I don't know how any 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 films are even made, having seen the process <laughs> of development through to production and post-production uh, a couple of times now. So I've written a screenplay, and that's in with a an outside chance. Who knows? Mm. Maybe one day it'll get the trigger, and it will become something. But, you know, all of that thinking, all of that research, the characters, the story, I don't want it just to, just to go to waste or mm. to remain in development. I am primarily a, a novelist, writer of prose. I'll turn this story into a novel. So that's kind of where I am now. The last book, the current book, and the next book will all come out of that process. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's two chances um, and also, you know, in the past when companies have taken out options on my books and screenplays have been commissioned, um, only once did I kind of ask, you know, look, I've started screenwriting. Can I, can I have a go? And no, people aren't that keen about novelists adapting their own work, and I can see why. But if it started as a screenplay and there's a finished screenplay and then there's a novel – and someone's interested in adapting this into a film, well, uh, the screenplay is already in place. Mm. So maybe that increases my chances too. I think it does. If you think the publishing world is risk-averse listeners, just wait till you encounter the film world. Saivar <laughs> uh, goes on. He says, where does all this horror come from? Now, when you were talking there about nobody gets out alive, that seemed to be grounded very much in, in the real world horror. But what inspires you first? Is it is it reality or is it the the supernormal? Oh, it's it's a kind of a mixture of both. My reading experience, observation, observations. It it it, it it's all part of it. I mean, I guess aesthetically, the interest began when I was a boy. I'd always had quite, I, I think, innately a strange imagination that was attracted towards grotesque things. Um, the supernatural and so forth. I think most most children probably do. Mm. Um, I was experienced very powerful daydreams as a as a child, and most of my early school reports, you know, would say Adam spends most of his time looking out the window with his mouth open, <laughs> and I'd just be on some you know internal journey. Uh, and it was when my da my dad always read to my brother and I when we were kids. And he read us the ghost stories of M.R. James and some of the other uh, W.W. Jacobs and, and Collier and other ghost story writers in that classic kind of late Victorian to, to Edwardian period. And that really kind of stirred my imagination and I guess gave me a kind of framework to fit my own ideas into. And it, it, it just endured all through my childhood, my teens. And then when I started writing seriously in my early 20s, that's what I felt compelled to write was uh, was horror. Um, nothing else I was read to as a, as a child, I guess, conjured the same reaction as the ghost stories and horror did. So that was the kind of, that's where the seed was planted, a kind of 
I guess, my own peculiar imagination joining forces with my discovery of the ghost story and the tradition of the, the supernatural in fiction and supernatural horror. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it comes from all kinds of things. And then, you know, as you get older, certain issues, you know, they might affect you or, or, or move you or they attain a particular significance for you and you feel compelled to, to write about them and express your own ideas about them and maybe explore certain situations and conditions that are really disturbing or terrifying. I know with No One Gets Out Alive, I, I did so much research. The research took kind of the different areas. I, I wanted that novel. I wanted the haunting in that novel to feel like an authentic haunting. You know, I'd read thousands of, of, of cases of, of haunted houses and people's experiences with the uncanny, with apparitions and so forth. And the really good ones, there would be something very kind of strange but credible about them. Mm-hmm. And it was that kind of quality that I wanted to define and kind of distill into my own ghost story because it is a haunting, it's a haunted building. So I really studied and almost made a short list of those I found particularly affecting true ghost stories, true hauntings, etc. And then another part of the research was about really psychopaths and how they've empowered, certain psychopaths have empowered themselves um, or, or attempted to empower themselves um, through the most ghastly things they've done to their female victims. Um, so I was reading a lot about, you know, Fred and Rose West and Joseph Fritzl and got quite consumed in it. And it's the first time my my wife actually stepped in and just said, you've, you've become so morbid. And I was reading you know, so much that was so dark and so upsetting, almost un- almost unbearable to read. Mm. But you see, that will make my story feel more credible and be more truthful because I don't think these are subjects that you should write about lightly. Mm. No. I don't think they're entertainment, mm. to be honest. I think they go beyond entertainment. So kind of, I guess there's a moral dimension to it. I don't want this, I don't want a book like that to feel exploitative or sensational or to be titillating in any way. I want it to, although it's completely fiction and it has an element of the supernatural, I want it to be really kind of hard hitting and disturbing. And I want to treat that subject meaningfully and truthfully and with and with respect. I think you kind of, it, it sounds, I hope it doesn't sound too pretentious, but you kind of owe it to the countless victims mm. of these awful people. And the more that, the more credible sources you read about what actually happened, you cut through all the, that perverse glamour that surrounds, yeah. you know, certain killers and cults and so forth. And you, you, you really dig down into the grubby, seedy, quite loathsome behaviour and pathologies involved in some of these cases. And I, I, I mainline that stuff for about a, for about a year. And uh, yeah, it, it was starting to affect my, my thoughts, um, my moods. And it was good just to get that fire break put in. My, and then I, I went into another intense um, novel about an abducted ch- abducted child and at the time my 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 nipper my daughter was an infant and all of my parental anxieties came to bear and at the same time I wanted to write about runaway climate change and the incremental collapse of society and civilization so I jumped (laughs) from one intense subject into another um, and did an enormous amount of research into both of them, purely for the service of the story to make them as 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 impactful and affecting as I possibly can. Um, 
And I think with some readers, not every reader, but with some readers, um, like uh, Sarah, was it? Saivar. Saivar. Mm. You know, if I do make that connection with a with an ideal reader, the stories do seem to resonate with them and mm. endure. They remember them and recommend them to other people. And I think that's how I've managed to have quite a relatively long career. Saiva you know, does seem to be word of mouth. Saiva does say, "How does Adam feel knowing the fact around the world people have nightmares after reading his books?" I think it through. <laughs> I approach it from every angle. I fine tune it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, to to write a book is something. It's 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 difficult. It's not easy um, to get it published. That's another thing. To have it published and then have anyone read it. I mean, that's that's an honour. The next level is is. You know, to have written it, to have it published, to to have people read it and talk about it and recommend it to others. So it becomes a kind of, in a way, a weird kind of virus <laughs> that, that passes between people. And, you know, I, I've, I still have people writing to me now who have just read a book I, I've written 10 years ago hmm. and somebody recommended it to them. It's a long game. You know, and I've never been a, you know, a big frontless writer who's in all supermarkets and, and charts. And early on, I did the first couple of books. But after that, I've very much been a kind of mid-list writer. And it's readers like Savar and others that have kind of carried the torch for me and evangelized my books. Um, there's, there's, there's something in them that, that affects certain readers and gradually incrementally that readership grows you know um mm. which is which is why i'm able to continue I, I i guess to this to this day and i i hope it will continue but it's it's it's, it's very flattering and very satisfying for me to know that are readers that do appreciate the books in the way i intended for them to be mm. read and appreciated so they have been affected precisely in the way I have been writing them. Fantastic. I mean, I, I only need to go onto Goodreads to look at the 400 plus <laughs> one star reviews. <laughs> if I ever want to bring my earth myself, but no, I'm, I'm very grateful for the, to the readers who, who read my books and uh, with whom they resonate in a particular way. Mm. But, I mean, that's magic. You can't put a price on that. That's the holy grail. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's not selling, I don't think it's selling hundreds of thousands of books, although none of us would ever turn that down. It's, it's that connection with a, you know, a s significant number of readers um, who do return to your, to your work and your new titles. Excellent stuff. And finally, Saiva wants to know about your daily routine for writing. What's, a, what's an average day like for you? If if I'm writing, I, I tend to I tend to start. I guess I don't know. Do I have a routine? I'm not I'm not stuck in anything. There there was a time during the lockdown. There was so much going on. I was getting in my office at five, mm. and then you know working for a few hours. Then we'd have homeschooling and family exercise. Uh, now things have normalised a bit more. I tend to start around nine o'clock. But I've, I've, I'm, I'm not precious. Although I'm very lucky now that I have my own office outside of the house. I've learned to write anywhere. You know, I wrote on. I wrote the ritual on a kitchen table in a shared house with roommates. I've written books crammed into a corner of a bedroom in London on a desk the size of a skateboard <laughs> i had to climb between the bed and the desk like a pilot getting into a cockpit of a plane um i've written in living rooms i've written on my lap i've written on public transport and i think i'm good i've never precious mm. about where i wrote i could just get myself into the zone and i would uh i was stuck on a plane for 26 hours and i wrote the end of apartment 16 on a plane seat, and I was so absorbed 
with what I was doing, uh, a hostess eventually shook my arm and said, can you leave the plane? And I just, <laughs> everyone had gone and we'd landed. I don't think I even noticed us land. <laughs> um, so I've kind of conditioned myself to be able to write anywhere at any time. And I guess that frees me from routines and fetishes and superstitions. Yeah. And I've never had writer's block. I can always, uh, I can always get myself in the mood. Mm. But obviously there are lots of other things I have to do as well now. I'm producing books in in four formats. I run a web store. Um, I often have to drop all of that and do some work on on a film if there's a there are tight deadlines. Uh, there are author events, so managing my time well is is, is probably more more of a crucial skill at this stage than um, a routine for writing. Mm. Excellent stuff. What's coming next from you, Adam? Uh, I have a new novel out this Halloween called Cunning Folk. It's a folk horror. I mentioned it earlier. This is one I've adapted from my own screenplay. And, yeah, it'll be limited edition hardback through my, excuse me, my web store. If anybody wants one of those, they usually sell on pre-sales. They probably have to join my mailing list, which is just one newsletter a month. I don't spam. And there'll be paperback, ebook, and audiobook too. And I'm writing what I hope will be next year's novel. So, yeah, this year and next year, there'll be two new books. Excellent stuff. And um, what's the uh, URL of the web store? Where can, where can people find that? Oh, it's um, adamlgneville.com. Fantastic. I forgot to mention the film. Yes, go on. <laughs> there may be a film at the end of this year. No <laughs> One Gets Out Alive has been made. It was adapted last year and is in post-production. It hasn't been scheduled, but that may come out at the end of the year. Excellent. Listeners, we'll put a link in the show notes to that so you can find that nice and easy. Adam, thank you so much for this. This has been an absolute joy. Uh, really looking forward uh, to the new book at Halloween and whatever comes in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and for all the interesting questions and to everyone that takes an interest in my, my fetid horrors. <laughs> Adam, thank you so much. Speak to you again soon.